This podcast was recorded Thursday, January 12th at 10.37 a.m. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Yeah, like they'll find some classified documents in the offices of, of former President Obama and former President Bush. They found them in a garage in Delaware. That's the latest thing. A garage they're, they're in Wilmington, everywhere. Delaware. Are there any here at WOSU? I'll bet there's <laughs> lots more out there. Anyway, let's talk politics. This is Snollygoster, WOSU Public Media's weekly look at Ohio politics and all those Snollygosters or shrewd politicians who cut backroom deals to gain power and leverage. I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mike Thompson. Coming up in the podcast, the Marin Caucus takes shape at the State House. Yes, it is. But first, for likely the final time, Mike DeWine takes the oath of office as an elected official. I, Richard Michael DeWine. Richard Michael DeWine. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I shall faithfully and honestly. That I shall faithfully. By our count, this was the 13th time Mike DeWine took the oath as an elected official. 13 times. Here's the list. County prosecutor, Ohio Senate, U.S. House, four times. Lieutenant governor, U.S. Senate, twice. Attorney general, twice. And now governor, twice. I bet he and Fran know it by heart by now. In the Constitution. In the Constitution. Of the state of Ohio. Of the state of Ohio. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations. (laughs) Anyway, in his second inaugural address, which followed the oath, the governor reflected on the trials of the COVID pandemic in his first term. He celebrated Ohio's possible new Intel-fueled manufacturing boom. He said this is now Ohio's time, and he played the role of Ohio's human resources recruiter. And to make it real simple, to make it real simple, if you want a chance for a better life, a brighter future for your family, then I say to you, come to Ohio. So Mike DeWine is essentially one of those billboards that they have in New York City saying come to Ohio now? Yes, I guess so. Good for Mike DeWine. (laughs) Joining us now to discuss Governor DeWine's second term is Ohio Public Radio's Andy Chow. Andy, welcome back to Snollygoster. Hey, Steve and Mike. So you had a better feel for it. What What was the feel of the inauguration? How would you describe it? You know, as somebody who's been covering Mike DeWine for a long time, it was really interesting to hear some of the biggest highlights of other speeches sort of stitched into this second inaugural speech. Things like uh, making sure that every Ohioan reaches their God-given potential, talking about planting seeds of a tree now so it can grow years down the road, Uh, investing in early childhood education, and then calling people to come to Ohio. So it really was some of uh, hitting his, like, the the top of the charts hits for DeWine. And uh, I think what it really sort of spells out is his hope or his goal of providing some type of consistency in the governor's office. That's what he's been saying for a long time that's what he said in the in the campaign trail too but the overall feel andy i just you know i I watched it online and it was so mike dewine kids and grandkids everywhere there <laughs> was ice cream singing no ice cream that i saw anyway singing oh tr- it was like a, it was like a it's like the, a dewine talent show there was like the a, miami um, university like men's glee really? club the cedarville firehouse friends barbershop quartet oh my god i love it it was choreographed entrances <laughs> walk-up music there was a campaign really ad right in the it. middle of it yes my goodness it was it was frankly cringeworthy corny but it was mike dewine mike dewine is corny and i think he would lean into that he's a he's sort of a cornball 
It wasn't very diverse. I did not see one person of color up on that stage. Andy, you can correct me. Even the color guard, where they had four people, there was no people of color on the color guard. Did you see any people there, of color on stage? Yeah, there were people of color. And, and something that was interesting that happened the last time around, too, in the benediction portion of the of the ceremony is, is to have a several face represented okay. in the prayer at the end. I didn't make it to the benediction at the end. But it, <laughs> well, that was about a, an hour and a half in, so you know, no one would blame you. Yeah, I thought was, it was it, wasn't the it most, was really interesting. Yeah. I think what they're trying to also show is this this camaraderie and maybe even a passing of the torch because it really incorporated John Husted's family too. And of course, there there's it's never too early to be thinking four years down the line for the Republicans no, and for we'll, this administration. We'll, we'll get to that, but this, it did seem to me like this was more of a celebration of Mike DeWine's family and his career rather than laying out a bold vision right. for the next four years was there anything bold that you would i don't i mean was there anything really newsworthy other than the fact that this was a, a gubernatorial inauguration nothing newsworthy nothing that stands out as something newer than what he's been saying in the past and i think what's interesting again going back to the idea of trying to provide some consistency a lot of the things that he said we've we've already heard before but you know to his supporters that's not necessarily a bad thing you know, he spent a lot of time, we talked about the human resources recruiter, he spent a lot of time trying to sell Ohio to current residents considering moving out or to outer staters moving in. He said there are three ways to promote the spate, the Hopewell Ceremonial Earthworks, uh, Ohio's role in celebrating the nation's 250th birthday, which is in three years, by the way, and of course, this. Another tremendous opportunity to tell our Ohio story is our great state fair. We are remaking Ohio's great state fair. And we're starting this year, and we'll be doing it over the next few years. We've always had a great state fair. We're going to make it even greater. We're remaking the Ohio State Fair so it be an ever- Andy, I love the state fair. <laughs> no, you don't. Okay, I've, <laughs> I've gone to the state fair a few times. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard of the state fair being touted so lengthy. He went off script to tout the state fair in that. When you didn't think it could get any cornier. In the inaugural address. <laughs> Have you ever heard of state fair shout out in the governor's inaugural, Andy? No, not really. I mean, I've, I've heard about state park shout outs, but not a state fair shout out. Yeah, this goes back to the announcement he made a couple of weeks ago where they're going to start demolishing some of the buildings on the fairground site to build new buildings and to expand what we know of the state fair to, like he said, stick to the agricultural roots, but talk about Ohio that's more than just a, a farming state. Come to Ohio. Go to the state fair. There we go. I, I also, is there anything substantive that we could, I mean, Again, getting back to the lack of boldness in this speech, I mean, that's as bold as it gets, right? I mean, he talked a lot about the fight for, for mental health, about yes. addiction. Yes. Which he talked about the, about the yeah. struggles of the pandemic. But again, looking forward, not much meat on the bone besides the state fair. Besides the corn, I guess, there, I guess there's meat on the bone if you call a corn dog meat on the bone. But <laughs> meat on the stick. But like again, there's just, this is all just grandfatherly pomp and circumstance. What is the feeling down there, Andy? 
do they expect bold things out of Mike DeWine? He, you know, in the COVID during the early COVID days, he he took charge. He was the leader. Was on TV every day. He he drew rave reviews from from most people except for the far right on his handling of COVID. But then later in that first term, he deferred to the lawmakers. Do we see that deference continuing, or do you see Mike DeWine using the bully pulpit to push things through? Well, there are a couple things there. I think the one thing being that most of the times when it comes to inauguration, it's not necessarily the speech that you're, you're it's not necessarily a speech where you expect to hear a lot of bold things. Yeah. That's usually reserved for the state of the state address, which is coming up later this month or early next month. And then the other thing being that a lot of uh, the Democrats that we talked to were really happy with with the speech. But again, it, it becomes so, somewhat of a cheerleading speech saying so, sort of see, singing Kumbaya that we're all going to get along. And then the Democrats are pointing out that, well, while the governor is calling on people to come to the state, the state of Ohio does face some real challenges when it comes to uh, policies that can be exclusive, especially to LGBTQ people. And that is an issue that is going to be continuing likely through the legislature. So at the moment of the second inaugural speech, it did seem to have this camaraderie vibe to it because that's usually what happens. There's no reason for people to be fighting politically during the inauguration ceremony, but that's going to come later during the state of the state and then during bill making when there could be other issues that could become more controversial and in getting into the so-called cultural wars that we've seen in policymaking. This whole, what seems to be Mike DeWine's final time in office has this whole sort of Cal Ripken Jr. goodbye farewell mm. tour vibe to it. And I didn't sense anything to contradict that at all. I mean, it still it still seems very much like he's doing a, a final lap here before he retires. And I, I don't right, I mean Andy, did I do you yeah. is there any indication that he's gonna do anything politically after this? Oh no. I, I think he's he's really kind of hinted that this is this is the last go around for him but i think what's interesting now and you mentioned his response to the covid-19 pandemic where he really did sort of buck the trend of some other republican leaders around the country by initiating a quick quick response that was praised by moderate republicans and democrats alike and one of the questions that we had for him something that i asked him about last time we spoke is uh, because this is likely the last position he'll ever hold, because he will likely never run for office again, does he plan on changing his approach, changing his leadership style, and maybe not not straight, not being too worried about ruffling feathers, even among people of his own party? But he didn't really seem to indicate that that was the case, that he was going to continue to operate the way he always has, especially when it comes to putting economic interests and job growth first. Yeah, yeah. I think I think by the by the Cedarville Firehouse Friends Barbershop Quartet being there, we can say he's not going he's not gonna be a, a rogue maverick. The um you know, you mentioned John Houston. Like it or not, the race for the next governor has begun. John Houston is next in line, if you recall, he kind of he did step aside so Mike DeWine could run for governor. He said, I'll wait my turn and run for lieutenant governor this time. Behind the scenes, we know that he did not always agree with the governor with regards to some of the COVID stuff, but they kept the united front out in the public. When do we start to see John Husted try to carve his own path? I'm sure that's going to start happening soon. Uh, John Houston's always been pretty good at getting his name out there and building up a profile for himself. He's been leading a lot of the economic development messages from the administration, and I'm sure 
sooner than later, we're going to start seeing him become more of a public face on a lot of these things to raise his profile even more. Who's the Democrat? Nan Whaley? Who's 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 taking on John Husted in, in I have no in idea. Four years, no idea. Yeah, Andy, put no well, idea. Andy, you'll get you'll get good value on your bet if you make it now. Yeah, <laughs> and you could parlay that with That's something right, else. Go to DraftKings or MGM <laughs> yeah. or right. whatever it is. You typical. Get, you get good odds. John Cranley, I think, is a guy to watch. He'll be he'll be yeah. back. But yeah, maybe. Well, he lost to Ann Whaley in the primary that's, last time. That's but a um, long way off. Uh, Andy, we're gonna we're gonna pivot here, but you are still our state house correspondent here for WOSU Public Media, and so we want to ask you about the other major story coming out of the state house this week. There are right now two official caucuses for each uh, the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate. Each chamber has a Republican caucus and a Democratic caucus. They vary in size uh, from term to term. Once upon a, a time, Democrats outnumbered Republicans. Right now, Republicans vastly outnumber Democrats. But now there is talk of a third caucus in the Ohio House. Let's call it the Marin Caucus, a group of 40-something Republicans who felt another group of Republicans and Democrats robbed Derek Marin of his chance to be the speaker. You likely have heard by now that all 32 Democrats in the House teamed up with the 22 rogue Republicans and voted for Jason Stevens over Derek Marin to be speaker and... Marin remains a little bitter, I would say. Unpleased. He <laughs> met with his supporters privately this week. The 22 rogue Republicans were not invited. The Democrats, of course, were not invited. We really don't know what was said in that meeting, but they were trying to figure out how they can get their big agenda items passed if they don't have the speaker in their corner. And they don't, because uh, Derek <laughs> Marin flatly said, I am the leader of House Republicans. This Andy, this really shows this this debate uh, squabble in Columbus and the Kevin McCarthy squabble in concessions in Washington. It really shows the public how much power the Speaker of the House, both in Washington and here in Columbus, has. Yeah, it shows the power and that shows why it's so concerning to the Republicans who did not vote for Stevens, because one of the top things on the list during that closed door meeting was to discuss the rules and the policies and the procedures. Now, this is something that we don't usually talk about uh, too much because it's really how the sausage gets made. But because they're so particular, it can really play a pivotal role in the policymaking process. This comes down to things like even being able to offer amendments on the House floor, being able to get their bills into committee and through the committee process, who chairs those committees. All those types of things are really hanging in the balance with Jason Stevens, who, right, like you said, was voted uh, for by 32 Democrats, 22 Republicans, there's still double the amount of Republicans who did not vote for him who are still part of that caucus. So yeah. the question is, how is their agenda going to go right. forward? What can, what can they do? They can't do much if, well, if the other 54 lawmakers stick together. No, the, I remember the scholastic thing on TV. You know, I'm a bill, I'm sitting on Capitol Hill, <laughs> and I work my way through it. It never sure. said if the speaker doesn't like it or has somebody chirping in his or her ear that my bill on Capitol Hill doesn't get a vote. But they're they, not they going to stick together. Like, like what Steve out. said, there's there's no way that those 54 lawmakers, the 32 Democrats and the 22 Republicans are going to reach a consensus on on all these controversial bills. So eventually, I mean, yeah. I'm just predicting here, eventually those 22 Republicans and the 45 Republicans who voted for different people, they're all going to see eye to eye on policymaking. It's just how are those bills going to move forward and how much infighting is going to happen in the process and how much 
power do the Democrats have to block some of those issues uh, during the process? I mean, without putting our whole audience to sleep, what are some of the is there really anything substantive, anything anything meaningful that could that could change here? I mean, obviously, a, the House Speaker would still need to allow a bill to come up for a floor vote, I would assume. It happens in the committee process. And so that's where it really depends on who the chairs of those committees are going to be. This is something interesting that Marin said is that he has instructed all of his supporters if they are offered a chair, uh, uh, offered to be the chair of a committee, that they should take it. And then that wields a whole bunch of responsibility and power. Now, it does depend is this, is Stevens going to, how much power is Stevens going to give to those chairs? That's still up in the air as well. And also, what we're while we're talking about all this, the 32 Democrats who ended up voting for Stevens, we don't know what those Democrats were given in return. We don't know what kind of deal was struck between Stevens and the Democrats. So there are, might be issues that are off the table for Stevens because he had to win the support of the Democrats through taking those issues off the table. I think we're going to find out very quickly one possible component of that deal, and that is the 60% threshold mm -hmm. proposal for voter-approved constitutional amendments. They've put that out. It's back on the table. It's been officially presented to lawmakers as a resolution, and we will know pretty quickly if Jason Stevens uh, has basically guaranteed Democrats that we're not going to act on that resolution and keep it the, the way things are. And a signal to that is that you have to, the Demo the lawmakers have to move quickly on that. They have to pass it by February 1st. And Stevens to get on the May canceled. Ballot. To get on the May ballot. To get on the May ballot. Yeah. And Stevens canceled the first session that was supposed to happen on Wednesday. So that that's a signal to the Marin Republican supporters saying, well, he's obviously not working quickly to pass this. So that might signal that he's not supporting it. That's my main point is that I want to get at is that Jason Stevens still holds a lot of power. Yeah. And that this caucus to me is they're going to be a small thorn in his side. They're, they're not going to be that powerful. If he can keep the Democrats and the 22 Republicans together, that's that's what he has to do. Yeah, but he can still block stuff from a four vote floor oh, vote, yeah. right? If he keeps those folks together, if, he, if people drift but apart. But he himself can he himself say this is not going to come up floor. floor oh yeah, floor he vote. can. Yeah. He said he can set the agenda. Yeah. But then the problem is how how often is he going to be blocking things, and is that going to start rubbing the other twenty two Republicans the wrong way and have them jump ship over to to Marin? Yeah, so just... really, the this issue of of if it's going to be. A cluster or chaotic. Um, how long can that last? If it does, if it if it does become a pretty disorganized mess, I love it's it. It's going to be chaos. I love it. At I'm least for the for first chaos. month. I want a front row seat. Yeah, <laughs> Andy, you got the, uh, this. Is um, you don't always have the most enviable job of having to sit through these house meetings, but man, this is great now. Oh, I had my face up against the window for some of that that closed door meeting with Marin. Yeah, so, yeah I saw those pictures. <laughs> I saw the pictures on Twitter where everyone's just standing outside, <laughs> and it's a very thin glass pane. <laughs> like you could hear stuff, probably right. You should have brought a glass oh, it, and put it against it was the, the, like a it was the most. It was the most public private meeting I've ever seen. It was very much for yeah. show. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there were some important stuff talked about in there, but it was really just a dog and pony show. Yeah, but look it's... at us, we're meeting. Andy Chow from Ohio Public Radio, thanks very much. All right, thanks for having me. Good luck down there. We'll be right back. Support for WOSU Podcasts comes from listeners. You can give at WOSU.org. Thank you for supporting digital content from WOSU Public Media.
Time now for our Snollygoster of the Week segment, where we honor the shrewdest politician or political move of the week, and there are a lot of possibilities here. Yeah, but this week's winner came to us from a report in the Columbus Dispatch. The Dispatch first reported that Dave Yost retired. Yes, the man who just won re-election as Attorney General filed his paperwork with the Ohio Public Employees Retirement System, or OPRAs, and that allows him to collect his pension as a retiree, but also, because he still has a job, his salary as Attorney General. Old Dave, the old tradition known as double dipping, and it is all legal. Some 1,200 retired public employees earned at least $20,000 as public employees, according to the Legislative Service Commission. So Dave Yost, for shrewdly knowing how to work the system, you earn our Snollygoster of the Week Award. Though this might come up if he decides to run for higher office. It just might. It's not a good look. It is legal. Um, It's arguably not even unethical. It's just, it's easy to poke fun at. It's very shrewd. It is shrewd. So, hey, he uh, can splurge for an extra trip this winter. He may head to South Florida for a week or two. Yeah, we all know people who have have done this. So it's not uncommon (laughs) in state state government. It's just... uh, going to be an issue in a, in a future political run. Let's just say that. That will do it for this week's edition of Snollygoster. If you have a suggestion for next week's Snollygoster of the Week, you can email it to us at snollygoster at wosu.org. As always, be sure to tell your friends about us. Leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next week, for our student producer, Katie Genius, our audio producer, Eric French, and our web producer, Michael DeBonis, I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mike Thompson for Snollygoster from WOSU Public Media.